You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Sally-Ann Briggs. Sally-Ann has represented England women's cricket at under 17, 19, and 21 level captaining some of these teams on international tours. In 2013, she retired and began coaching, quickly progressing to be head coach for both the England women under 15 and under 19 squads. Then in 2016, she began coaching Loughborough Lightning in the Kia Super League in the UK, taking them to the semi-final in her first year. In 2018, she moved to Australia as she was named as the head coach for the Hobart Hurricanes in the Women's Big Bash League and the Tasmanian Tigers in the Women's National Cricket League. Sally-Ann is a mature and thoughtful leader who is able to balance the desire for change with an understanding that the speed with which you take people forward influences their ability to be a participant in the new culture you want to develop. Some of the parts of the discussion that resonated the most with me were her views on the importance of the timing of feedback and giving players time to reflect and rationalise before you engage them using training to turn your strengths into super strengths, but also developing other skills so that you're ready to contribute if required, and articulating your vision for the team before you begin any work on values or behaviours. 
Sally Ann seems set for a long career ahead of her as a coach. And I hope you enjoy this discussion as much as Jim and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Sally Ann Briggs, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today, all things cricket. Sally Ann, can I ask, start by just asking, where in the world are you today? I've always tried to follow some great opportunities with coaching, but I never realised it would take me as far as Tasmania. So I am now currently working for Cricket Tasmania, and I'm the head coach of the female Hurricanes and the female Tigers. So that's two different squads that represent like T20 cricket and 50 over cricket. So I'd like to ask you about your experience, actually, because you've played for England in underage level. So you've had some experience of working with and for some great coaches, Graham Dilley, Stephen Fleming, Adam Griffith. So what is it you think the great coaches do differently? It's great coaches, I guess, or great leaders, but the ones that I've seen that have had great relationship and with players, but also have developed talent and therefore had success at performance level are the ones that I would say I've got a very good self-awareness and very strong awareness of others. They've got a great balance between support and challenge. I think they're able to create some really good learning environments that have high support and high challenge. And they don't seem to have too many rules, but they're very aware that they need to treat every single person differently. So I would say they treat people fairly, but they don't treat them the same. I think if I realised that at a younger age through my coaching, and I probably would have had a lot better relationships and a lot better success. And when I mean success, players really fulfilling their potential, really tuning in on what those players needed. Well, we'll get later on to uh, your philosophy. I'm very excited to hear about it. But I'd like to just ask a few more background questions if I could, because I understand you were coached by your father and played a lot with your brother as well. And I'm just wondering what lessons if any, from your family you've taken into your own coaching philosophy? Wow, you have done a lot of research. Yeah, so where where I'm from, Grimsby, I played a lot of cricket with the boys. That was my only option. There was no team in Lincolnshire, female team. If I wanted to play any female cricket, it was about going to Yorkshire, which I eventually did in my early teens. I had got some great experiences playing boys cricket. And that's where I'm so thankful for those experiences because I learned a lot tactically about the game. I always felt that I played in every game that was competitive, where I think sometimes when you play female-only cricket, there's a lot of one-sided games. And that's purely because the talent pool is not big enough. But there's a five-year difference between myself and my brother. So we played a lot of backgarden cricket and I played cricket for his age group team. So I was always being stretched and played above my years. And I wouldn't say that I had significant roles in those teams, but I was always watching and learning. My dad, he was quite a disciplinarian in how he went about his kind of coaching. He gave above and beyond my dad. There was no doubt about that and drove me around the country. But if there was an opportunity to learn, there was a very much direct feedback going on in around what needs to be done. I had a few experiences where my dad would be coaching from the sideline at times, but there wasn't that time where any feedback was delayed. You got it there and then. So it's kind of seized the moment. But I just find myself very fortunate that I fell into a game that I love. I had a brother that loved beating me. I had a dad that would give me absolutely everything to get me to the games and support and tell me when I didn't do things as well as I should be or as well as he thought I should be doing. Talking about 
feedback. You've said that I'm a passionate coach, a strong leader, but I'm also someone who really cares. And because I care, if I have to give players some feedback that is going to make them better, that they might not like in the minute, I'm not afraid to do that. So I'd like to ask you, do you have any routines or particular ways you found more effective in giving feedback to players? Yeah, I think um, timing is crucial a little bit. So some of the conversations that you need to have with players can be very difficult. And well, like I said, I'm not afraid to have that conversation, but timing can be really important in that because when it's something when they've made a mistake and it's a big game, they need their own time to reflect on that when they need to rationalise things and depersonalise everything. You've got to be able to have that conversation, I guess, on a, a one-on-one level, but also be able to have that open in the arena in those match reviews as well because you often find that these big moments in games, these game-changing moments where it can go either way, people are going to make mistakes. Is It's important that players learn from other players as well because we're always going to be in those situations. But I also think it's about framing it. So I will speak to the girls and say, look, being challenged is also another way of showing support. Because just imagine if I never offered that type of feedback or I didn't address the elephant in the room, where are we going to get from there? So actually avoiding those conversations hurts the team. There's sometimes not just having it and it not going the right way. And we don't want to do that. We never want to be in a position where we avoid those situations. But I would say if you had anything, it's probably the timing and understanding when your players want that feedback. And everyone's different. So if I think about this team now, some girls over-rationalise what they're thinking and go down a dark hole where they should be going and they need to process that information right away, where some others, they need time. They need their own reflections as well. So again, that goes back to understanding your players. When you arrived in Tasmania, it's a new country new continent you're a long way from home in a new environment what were some of the things you did first to induct yourself into that new team well I was really lucky actually because part of the process of recruiting me they set me up from the start so part of the interview process I had to describe what I would like to see from the team in 12 months time and then what would I like to see after three months of being there so I felt that creating the vision, I actually did all the work, the hard work in my interview. The girls needed direction. They needed to see where we were going to get in three years' time because it was a big job. The girls had only won five games in 10 years. So it was about the journey and selling the journey rather than expecting big changes from the off. And the thing that I really stuck to was, and it sounds a bit cliche, was about winning hearts and minds and I stuck with that for six months because it meant that I had those conversations with all the right people that I needed to and it wasn't just within the team either because we've got a finance department we've got a commercial department I need to know the CEO so I used that as a kind of little mantra my little checklist of over the first six months is like I've got to build these relationships and build this trust and it actually works quite closely with our personal development manager in around building that safe environment and that vulnerability piece for the girls so we could work better together and be more on board with what we were trying to do. So yeah, the key thing was direction, winning over those hearts and minds and building those strong relationships and that trust within that. And then just making sure I worked bloody hard in that first initial so that the girls knew that whatever I asked them to do, I was going to give them twice as much. 
I was preparing for today and I was interested when I was reading about your philosophy on training and how you have moved away from training people to dominate in one discipline within cricket, but actually trying to develop better all-round cricketers. Could you talk a little bit about how you've been able to, to do that in the coaching routines you've set up? Well, sometimes you see, like in cricket, where the batters will do all the batting and then in 9-10 Jack will just focus on bowling and not work in those areas. And then you'll see like certain bowlers, whether you're a tall bowler, that you've always put in these like fine leg or third man or these positions where women's cricket's not really like that. And your 9-10 Jack going to have to win games for you. So my expectations from that is that everyone has to bat Therefore, you have to spend time on your game with a coach, understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. And it's just how it's so, if you're not a dominant batter, like I still believe your top seven's got to score your runs. Like I'm not finding them excuses, but I think it's really important that everyone in our team understands what their strengths are and therefore makes them super strengths. And then that goes to another example with fielding. Like you've got to be able to execute at least two positions because... In T20 cricket, and if we've got a left and right under in and we've got time constraints, we can't afford you to be letting our team down or hurting our team because you're in a position that you're not familiar with. And therefore, it was just about raising expectations of what players' roles were. And again, them understanding that they were going to get all the support they needed to fulfil that. It, it wasn't a case of players leading their own development. Every coach was going to work hard to upskill them in all those areas. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I probably dilute it a little bit too much. And then I think, what well, okay, is, it, is our main people in main roles not getting what they need? And sometimes I have to get myself back to that. But it's amazing if you don't pigeonhole players of what they can achieve. There's a player in this group, and I don't want to name her because I'll embarrass her, but she never bowled a spin ball in her life. She never, well, let's try it. And now she's one of our main strike bowlers. She was always seen as a batter. Sometimes people really surprise you and it's a great feeling. And when you see a player achieve something that they never even dreamed of, that is what coaching is. In relation to your coaching style, you've said, I'll treat you fairly if you continue to put the credits in the bank. And you can put the credits in the bank by sticking to our team behaviours. And I wanted to just take a step in that direction and ask you, you know, are there any behaviours or values that are central to your coaching philosophy? Yeah, so, well, I think the behaviours of a team and the values of a team are very important that they come from the players and you facilitate those conversations. But a key one for me is that fairness piece. My key values are fairness, care and collaboration, but those naturally don't come in any team, really, because you associate these big, key, bold, strong words with values. And that's, that's another story in about how you enforce your own values on a team where I think people get a little bit stuck. But the behaviours that we adopt in our team is about being the one and that's linking to being accepting challenge. And another one for us is what we call is protect our pack, which is basically making sure you put other people first, but also we're able to have that honest conversation because we want to get the best out of one another. So if we need to make each other accountable at times because we don't want to hurt the team and the progression of this team, we've got to aspire to these behaviours. And that's the thing, like we're always aspiring to them and actually we're going to go below the line and we're going to mess up. So we need forgiveness in this world 
because we're all human and we're going to make mistakes. But the accepting challenge and being the one is really important for us because we're going to be out of our comfort zone most of the time playing cricket. There's going to be some certain areas where the you know the batters or the bowlers have got momentum, and we've got to find that moment space where we are comfortable taking the first step forward, even though there's a lot of pressure on us right now. And all I want to be able to see from our girls is that we are ready to take the challenge on. It could go completely wrong, but I want us to be able to make that positive first step and having a go. And I think that is so important because I see that's the difference between when you're in a 50-50 situation and we've been in loads, especially in T20 cricket, it's the ones that are ready and to take on the challenge and back themselves. They're the fielders that want the ball to come to them when it's just four to win. So these are the behaviours that we are talking about is that, hang on, how should I be feeling in that moment? And we can practice those in training and we talk about those behaviours in training all the time. So linking to your original question about credits in the bank, if we've got players aspiring to our team behaviours all the time and then I've got a player that comes to me and goes, do you know what, I'm really miss my sister or it's my brother's birthday and they live in Sydney and we're in Tasmania and they are giving everything to moving this team forward. Go on, bugger off for two days. And that's how we operate. Sally Ann, how did you go about constructing these behaviours, these values with the team? It's a long process actually and it's one of those ones where if you say values or behaviours, your whole team, they just sink back into their chair and they say, oh, we're going through this rigmarole again. It starts off always for me with being really clear on what our vision is and being in touch with that. So for us, it's great people create history. And that's something that resonates with our team because Tasmanians have got a great history of being really care-minded, mindful people that are incredibly welcoming. They're known as the nice team, always play within their spirit of the game. And that's something that's really important to them. So we want to create good people on off the pitch, but we want to create history. So we've never been in the finals. We've never won a competition. And great people proceeds creating history because we want to get that care of one another right first. And we believe that we can then take on and do things that no one has ever done before. So we link, that's our vision. That's what we're about. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, so what behaviours are going to underpin those? And we have conversations that go around in circles. And I have to lead on a lot of those and actually rein people back in. But it's about what people feel that they can influence in that vision is what comes to the forefront. So sometimes we have to say, okay, well, that's not the wording or what I would use, but I can actually link to what that means. And the important bit is then following up. So every review that we have in the training session, we talk about, okay, so give us good examples of protecting our pack. Okay, this is a great example of someone who learned from a mistake, got self-recovered, and then actually performed. Well, that's accepting the challenge. So you can't just do something in a classroom and expect for it to happen. It's got to be in the language that you use day in, day out. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You've taken part in the Australian Institute of Sports Performance Coach and Leaders Program, which sounds fantastic. Could you talk about some of the key things that you've learned or taken away from that course? Yeah, that's, that's been brilliant, actually. It's the first time that I have been uh, in an environment that's all female. So, like, when you think of all your coach education and all your development leadership courses, especially in cricket, I've often been the only female in the room, and it's really opened my eyes to the power of vulnerability. So, straight away, even from that session, I felt that I could relax more I could be more open and felt that I didn't have to put this persona on that made me a more dominant leader a more alpha leader so the first thing I've learned is that how we create a safe environment to be vulnerable creates and establishes incredible strong relationships so that was the first thing that I brought back into our environment okay well how can we make our players and staff because I've got a lot of male staff more vulnerable in that space to build that trust. And it was incredible, actually, because we got a lot of emotions in that spaces where people just made incredible connections. The other key thing that we've done is, um, it's more in around what I said to you about self-awareness, so understanding the makeup of why I do what I do. So I did a great workshop with those uh, facilitators and those other high-performance coaches in around key moments in my life that have shaped why I operate and behave in a way that I do. And it was about a life story. And it gave me really good self-awareness of when I'm at most pressure, when I'm under the pump, why I default to a way that I operate and actually how can I manage that situation. And knowing why you do what you do, I tell you what, it's so easy to regulate it. So that was the first bit was about developing a self-awareness of how you operate and what your strengths are. And then the second part was actually leading systems, which we've kind of done over Zoom, but because of COVID and everything else, we're only actually a third way through it. So I'm hoping it picks up once the world resumes, I guess. But the self-awareness a piece of what I'm good at, what I need to work on, and when I'm under extreme pressure, why I do what we do is based on a moment that happened when I was 13 and why that's so embedded, I thought was brilliant. It sounds fantastic, Sally Ann. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to talk a little bit about moderating your emotions, being calm, leading the team, because in cricket, there are long periods of time where the team is just sitting around together. Mm. And I imagine in that environment, there can be disruptive peer pressure that starts to, to bubble up. How have you managed to influence or moderate this disruptive team pressure when it occurs? Very difficult <laughs> and very challenging at times because my natural self, I can be, as a player, I was quite fiery. Typical player that you got, once you got over that white line, is about competing and winning. But I think the key thing for me, and especially regulating those emotions when the pressure is on, is actually feeling what emotion I am feeling. 
So normally on the dugout, when you're starting to feel nervous, okay, well, I can sense that, I feel that, therefore, what is my body language portraying? And I've even gone through stages where you want to be that neutral person and not be too high or too low. And I've actually got feedback on that where I go, do you know what? I actually prefer it when you get really excited because you're starting to look a bit like you don't care. So at times as well, I've had to just go, you know what? If I'm feeling that, I'm going to go with it because my team want me to ride that wave with them as well. I guess it's just when things are not going your way and maybe the emotion of frustration and feeling a bit tense, how can I reduce that? And I actually use my assistant coach in that space quite a bit. And we use each other on how we're feeling in that and give each other direct feedback in those moments. Because we are going to probably show too much body language at times that's probably not going to be beneficial for the players. But knowing I have that trust in that person that's going to help shape that as well. Because you can't see everything. But I'm certainly getting better at feeling that emotion, accepting it. Okay, what does that mean now? What has been your greatest challenge so far as a coach? And I know you're, I think you're 36, so you're very early in your coaching career. But, well, I I think you're early in your coaching (laughs) career. I think you've got 30 years plus ahead of you. What's been the greatest challenge so far? I think what I'm doing now has been my biggest challenge. So when you come into an environment that is screaming change, you've got to be careful the amount of change that you do over time. So I constantly feel a little bit like as I'm leading through this change process, I feel like I upset more people than I bring on the journey. Uh, And maybe that's because sometimes I'm overcritical as well, but my CEO and high performance manager have got really clear expectations of where we want this female program to go. And they're incredibly supportive with that. And it's been about competitive and and creating that history piece that we've never done so you've got to either bring those people on that journey um but if you feel that they can't get to those standards then often well i have done i've let people go a little bit because we're trying to create something different so that's been my, my biggest challenge i think having people that have been around this environment for 10 years been hearts and souls and we have to change the way we look at things to create change. And therefore, I had to lose some significant people that are great people, lovely people, but unfortunately weren't able to deliver what we're looking for as part of this change. I found that very difficult as a coach, upsetting the apple cart a little bit in how other people manage the environment looking more different. Like I'm a big believer that if you want to create change, you've got to look from bottom to top. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the pathway trying to create something that we're not creating a pathway that if you're good at cricket you get on it you're you're on a pathway because you've got the potential to be a professional cricketer and changing the mindset of parents and coaches that have had that process here for a very long time you know I felt that I've upset people by setting certain level of standards because I feel like I know what it takes to create a high-performance environment and an ecosystem that produces talent. And therefore, I can't lower my standards or expectations of way of doing things to make everyone happy. And that's my first real experience of dealing with different stakeholders who have their own views and opinions on how things should work in a new environment where no one knows who I am where she come from she's not tasmanian i found that very difficult and at times you know i've lost confidence in that 
but I've always been reassured by the CEO and high performance that this is what you are here to do. And with those changing perceptions, we've managed to recruit some very good players that want to go and play for Australia. They, they see that we're serious about doing what we do. And you can come here to be a world-class player. So all those things are good, but losing people on the way I find hard. Sally-Ann, have you ever felt ethically challenged as a coach? And if so, how did you manage it? Mm, how do you mean by that? Were you put in a situation that was counter to your values and you had to either compromise or stand your ground? I felt like I have been put in those situations fairly regularly, but I was brought up in a way that if you fundamentally do not believe that is the right thing for other people, you have to voice your opinion. Can't quite think of key experiences, but... We're going through a process here right now in that we want to develop a club system that gives the best experience for a beginner and someone who's trying to get to a Tigers contract or you've got a Tigers contract and want to play for Australia. Like I fundamentally don't believe that you should have 10 teams in one league that caters for all of that. Like how are we going to create the best of that? But I've almost been in that situation where I've had to agree with the mass to get along and to create those relationships and just to keep a happy and nice place where everyone agrees where I can't do that. I can't, I can't allow for that sort of system if we are really keen and aspiring to be the best state or the best program in the country. It's just not going to work. I'd probably say we work on is when I know I'm in that position and I'm pressured in that position to do something because these are powerful people that can influence, I need to be mindful of how I stand up for what I believe in and how I can influence better to allow people to see the bigger picture. You were involved in the Sport England campaign, This Girl Can, that had the goal of getting more women involved in sport. How can coaches encourage more female participation? Well, I had a almost like sledgehammer on the head moment when I was on my level four. When you're a female that's brought up in a male-dominant environment all the time, you kind of start conforming into how males use language and how they behave. I was part of this group that we were talking about, what does the connotation of you throw like a girl mean? I'm the only female in this room. I've got first-class head coaches and second-level head coaches and on this course and I put my hand up and I said well I don't think I mind that it's not offensive and the guy that was leading it looked me in the eye and said for every one person of you there's nine other girls that find that incredibly offensive and will never come back to your sport ever again and it was almost like yeah do you know what not everyone's had my experience like I know that I've been in a male dominant environment but just imagine that if we created that safe space for girls to show up it didn't feel like I was walking in a male-dominated clubhouse where I used to get changing the urinals and it wasn't about competition it was about a sense of belonging it was about having fun it was about creating connections in sport and we really valued that then there might have been nine more Sally Ambrose's from Grimsby and that was the moment where I thought you know what no one is having my experiences. And actually, why can't we have a female head coach that is incredibly feminine? Do you know what I mean? Where is dressed is incredibly feminine and, not, and is not judged. 
And the reason why I'm here, because I know there's not enough female coaches and I have a responsibility to talk about it and kind of be a role model. I don't want to say that I'm this big guru, but to have this voice for female coaches to say it is possible and it is going to be challenging still, I think, in the next five to ten years or whatever. But I think we need to believe that we can achieve this. And like you say, we can only create change if we can see it. And I feel that that is my responsibility. I did this thing for a year, right? I said, whenever I get asked, I only ever said yes. But my God, at the end of the year, I was burnt out. So I am a bit strategic in little things that I do now, but I was going to be the face of everything for that, whatever it was as a female coach, as a female player, in around the challenges that I've faced, but how we can create those safer environments for females and, and what they look like in their own environments to make sure we keep females playing the sport and encourage them to be whatever they can do. Amazing answer. Thank you for sharing it. I'd like to just ask one final question if I can. What legacy do you want to leave as a coach? Well, two parts, I think, to that is I want to inspire other young girls to want to be dominant or play dominant roles in any sporting organisation. So it's not just about head coaching. You don't see many female CEOs in cricket. You don't see many female high-performance managers in cricket. That's where I want to be, that figurehead in allowing girls to believe and the other thing for me is quite simple is that wherever you are, always leave it in a better place. And it's simple as that. And wherever I go, I want to have had that positive impact on either the organisation or those individuals in there where they feel that they're a better place for it or the better people for us having that relationship. Sally Ann, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, a pleasure. Thank you. Paul, you've been a pleasure. Thank you so much. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Jim here. You've been listening to our discussion with cricket coach Sally Ann Briggs. Sally Ann is only early into her coaching career, but I just can't help think that one day we'll see her coaching against Australia. Some parts of the interview that connected with me the most were her thoughts on creating a safe space for team members to be vulnerable with each other, as this creates stronger relationships within the team. It's something that I've been trying to do more of lately but which is difficult when interacting with people behind screens all day. And her thoughts on creating space for female coaches and players to enter predominantly male sporting teams and not feel threatened. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Paul and I did. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with another English coach, Peter Mords. I think the first thing any great coach has is this ability to see somebody for what they could be rather than what they are. We do it naturally as parents. So we all look at our kids, you see a five, six year old, and you can imagine them being something great from an astronaut to a footballer to a ballet dancer, it doesn't matter. You can imagine easily, and so can they as, as kids. The big challenge I think for great coaches or any anybody working with people really, is can you keep those dreams alive? And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach, that you know has a unique story to share, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.